given us different components of the gospel. Hopefully it allows us to, to get the right perspective on what the gospel is. And so I'm hoping that every week as we look at one particular component, uh, if you're confused about anything, uh, all of that adds to the right understanding of what God has done for us. So first week, two weeks ago, we talked about God as the blessed one, the beginning and center of the gospel. Very important to start there. And then last week we talked about election, talked about God specifically choosing to love particular people. Again, you should start, uh, you should start figuring out there's a certain logic to this sentence, to this, to this series, that God is a loving God, and out of his heart comes out of this grace that is deliberately focused on people that he chooses to love. And those, that's the people that he adopts into his family. So today we're talking about adoption doctrine of adoption as part of, part of the gospel. So let me read the whole sentence again, Ephesians 1, 3, and then uh, we will focus on verses 5 and 6 today in particular. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Well, let's focus on verses 5 and 6, where Paul says that in love God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now in most evangelical churches, and ours is not exempt from that, you will hear a lot about justification, meaning forgiveness, your sins being, being taken care of by God through Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. And, and now we could be forgiven. There's no punishment for us. There's no wrath coming to us anymore if you are in Christ. And so we are justified or accepted or made right with God. And I think that emphasis on justification is appropriate. It is right to talk about forgiveness as the foundation of the gospel, as the center of it. Because we cannot have a relationship with God unless we're forgiven, unless our sins are dealt with. But we can't stop at justification. We can't stop just at forgiveness. Friends, there is something more. There is something greater, there is something sweeter that God has to offer to his children. And that is 
this doctrine of adoption. If you only know justification this morning and not adoption, you are in for a marvelous discovery. If you only believe that God has forgiven you, well, there's nothing else that he's done for you. There's so much more. Let's talk about that. I'm going to quote from J.I. Packer, who says this about this connection of justification and adoption. He says, This free gift of acquittal and peace, won for us at the cost of Calvary, is wonderful enough in all conscience. But justification does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God, the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any close fellowship with God resulting. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea, conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Let me read this last phrase again. It says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Well, adoption is absolutely impossible without justification. Adoption, as Packer says, as I believe, is in many ways a greater thing than justification. So if what you have this morning is great, you understand justification, you've been forgiven by God, I would like, to, I would like you to acquire something even greater. Maybe that's the reason why Paul mentions it before redemption and forgiveness. I think he's so excited to tell us about these greater things of the gospel that he starts with that. Now, on a personal level, as many of you know, uh, adoption has been important to my family. We, three and a half years ago, adopted Evie, our youngest child, uh, from Ukraine, where I'm from, from an orphanage. And, uh, and this doctrine of adoption really came to life to me as we were going through the process of adopting uh, Evie. Oh, thank you. Look at you. My oldest daughter. Thank you, Elena. Um, so, so for me, there's a special sweetness about this doctrine. But I don't think you have to have adopted a child to really feel a lot of the things that I feel about God. Because God adopts all of his children. And you can experience this adoption yourself and feel a lot of the same things that I'll be telling you about concerning Evie. In fact, I'm going to use Evie as an extended illustration today, okay? So please don't take it as me bragging about myself or, you know, tooting my own horn. No, I, I'm, I'm simply using our experience with Evie as an illustration of what God has done for us as his adopted children. So let me start by explaining what adoption is according to the Bible, and then I'll spend most of my time on uh, helping you understand what it means to experience it. So let me explain it first, and then we'll talk about the experience of adoption in Christ. This is what the Bible teaches about adoption. It teaches that God graciously adopts sinners into his family, becomes their father, and grants them all the rights and privileges and responsibilities belonging to his children. 
God graciously adopts sinners into his family, becomes their father, and grants them all the rights and privileges and responsibilities belonging to his children. Now let me break it down just a little bit to make sure we're all on the same page of what the Bible teaches. All God's children are adopted. The only child that God has that has not been adopted is Jesus. Everybody else that is a true child of God has been adopted into his family. This idea that everyone is a child of God because they were born, because they were created by God, is is not true. The Bible doesn't speak of everybody as God's children. In fact, those who have not been converted to Christ, have not been adopted into his family, uh, are not called God's children. Ephesians 2 calls them sons of disobedience, children of wrath. They're not children of God, they're children of wrath. They're not sons of God, they're sons of disobedience. They don't belong in God's family unless they are adopted into it. Now secondly, Scripture teaches that all of God's children are adopted through Christ. There's only one way to become a child of God. It's not by being born, but it's by being born again. Meaning that a person is converted into Christ, believes that Jesus died and rose for them, and allowed this access to the Father to become part of God's family. In John 20, there's this wonderful passage where Jesus, he just risen from the dead, and he, he came to Mary, and, and he says, Mary, I am ascending to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. Because of Jesus, his Father has now become our Father. His God has now become our God. There's only one mediator, and that's Jesus. And if you want to be in God's family, you must come through Jesus. There's no other way. When we adopted Evie in Ukraine, we hired a a so-called facilitator to help us with the paperwork and all sorts of things with adoption in Ukraine. Now, I doubt very much that we would have been able to adopt Evie unless we had that guy, unless we paid that guy some serious money which some of you have contributed to that cause. So if you're wondering where your money went that you gave us when we were adopting Evie, now part of it went to this shady guy in Ukraine who, who helped us with some paperwork. Now, why did we need him? He, he knew how the system worked. He knew who to talk to, which signatures to get and when. He knew where all the offices were and the office hours. He had access to the judge. He knew where people lived if he needed to, to wake them up outside of office hours or on vacation. All of that he knew we didn't. Now, I speak the language, and theoretically I was supposed to know how to do all this stuff, but I didn't. We needed a facilitator. We needed somebody to be our mediator, and he was that guy. And without him, I don't think it would have been possible for us to adopt Evie. Jesus is that facilitator. Jesus is that person that allows you to be adopted into God's family that gives you access to the Father. And through Him only, you can be adopted into God's family. And thirdly, the Bible teaches that all of God's children are adopted by grace. They become children through adoption, and it happens through Christ, and it happens by grace. In our verse 6, it says, to the praise of His glorious grace. God does not accept us based on our appearance or our accomplishments. He accepts us by grace. His adoption is undeserved. It is wonderfully surprising that God 
adopts us and loves us and welcomes us into his family. It is not something we should expect because there's nothing in us that make us deserving of his love. Now, when we got to the orphanage in Ukraine, you know, we had already decided to adopt Evie. That's who we wanted. We had seen her picture. We didn't know anything else about her. Uh, we didn't know her personality. We didn't know uh, what, her, uh, what her functional level was. We knew we wanted a child with Down syndrome, and so we looked at some pictures and picked Evie. And so we got to the orphanage, and very quickly we realized that uh, her crib mate, Vika, another kid there, that was sort of a buddy to Evie, was much higher functioning, was much more social, was smiling, and everybody loved her, and she was running around and talking. All the things that Evie didn't do. Evie was withdrawn, she wouldn't smile, she couldn't talk, she couldn't walk. And so very quickly, the people in the or- at the orphanage tried to convince us to get Vika and not Evie. Now, the reasoning is very clear. They thought, well, if you want a kid with Down syndrome, might as well get the best one. Get the one that's higher functioning. Get the one that has this personality that, that you can love. Have the kid that, get the kid that has least problems. And of course, for us, it wasn't much of a choice. We came to the orphanage because of Evie. We weren't trying to get a kid that, that would fulfill our expectations to the most. No, we, were, we wanted to get Evie. Now you see, we wanted to get Evie because we chose her by grace. We loved her before we knew her. All these things that, that you read in the Gospel are true of human adoption. You go through the same stuff as a parent. When we came, we, we loved her. We wanted her. We weren't trying to pick a kid based on how well they behaved or how how high their potential could be. No, that wasn't our decision. It was by grace. Because God also accepts us by grace as his children. Well, now that I've clarified what this doctrine means, that God adopts sinners, he does it by grace, he does it through Christ, I must ask you if you are an adopted child of God. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose for you to bring you into God's family? Do you believe that God accepts you by grace and not based on how good you are, how well you perform your religious duties, how many rules you have kept, how many times you've showed up to the the earlier service, like some people did this morning, that doesn't get you any credit with God, how many times you've taken communion or been baptized. No, that's not how God evaluates you. Has this wonderful transformation from an orphan to an adopted child of God happened to you? If not, of course I pray that it does, and I hope that the rest of this sermon will move you to embrace God as your Father through Jesus. But if so, if it is your experience, you are an adopted child of God, you're a believer, I pray that the rest of the sermon will show you how rich your experience of adoption by God can be. So let's talk about this experience. This is where most of this sermon is going to be focused on. To experience adoption in Christ, we must do three things. Embrace a new identity, enjoy a new intimacy, and expect a new inheritance. Embrace a new identity, enjoy a new intimacy, and expect a new inheritance. I'm thankful for letters E and I because they help me alliterate 
much easier. Okay. You know, that worked really well in the first service. Maybe they were just more real. It's a raw service, you know, they come and ready to laugh. All right, let's talk about this new identity in Christ. How do we embrace this new identity? Well, first of all, listen to what this identity is. Let me quote from Scripture. Scripture, God's Word, and God speaks to us through the Bible. Now, if you're a Christian, all these things apply to you. I want you to just listen. I'm not going to... I'm going to throw a lot of references at you. I'm just going to quote stuff from Scripture. All of this is from the Bible. If you want references, you're welcome to get it from me after the service. But listen to what God says about you as it relates to your identity in Christ. God says that we are friends and not enemies of God. That we are at peace with Him. Accepted by Him. No longer separated from Him or condemned by Him. There's no condemnation for God's children. That we are forgiven for all of our sins. All of our sins. Even the sins that you're now thinking about that you think are unforgivable. If you're a child of God, you're forgiven for all of your sins. God is for us, on our side, no longer against us. We are precious to God because we have been redeemed at the cost of His own Son's life. If you are worried and struggling and dealing with this thing that the world calls self-esteem, where you're constantly measuring your own value and wondering how meaningful you are and and how, how important you are, how precious you are, please listen to what God tells you. God says that you are as valuable to Him as the life of His own Son. That when Jesus died for you, it was worth it because God... God got you in return. That's how much you are valued by God himself. That's how precious you are in God's own eyes. Scripture tells us that we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. That we can never be separated from his love. That God will always love us. That we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realm. What what is it talking about? It's a position of authority and honor and respect. That's where you are spiritually according to God. When God looks at you, He endows you with respect and honor and praise and authority. We are called His temple, a residence of God's own Holy Spirit. God lives in you. If you're a believer... God is taking residence in you. We are part of Christ's body, His covenant people. This is our new community. You've been given a new community. You are citizens of heaven. We're called ambassadors for Jesus, representing Him before the world. So much He trusts you. He tells you, people are going to know what I am like based on what you're like. We are saints, not sinners. Saints, not sinners. This is what God says about you. If you're a believer, if you are a Christian, this is you. This is the real you. This is your identity. This is who God says you are. Now, I'm not saying you feel that. I'm not saying you even believe it today. But this is what God thinks about you. 
And don't you question that. Don't you doubt that. Don't you listen to lies of the world and the devil who tell you you're not worth it to him. And that he doesn't love you all the time. This is who you are. This is the real you. If the most important person in the created reality believes this about you, who are you to question him? Embrace it. Accept it. Live in this new reality. You're not an orphan anymore. You don't need to be scared anymore. You don't need to doubt him anymore. You don't need to wonder what's coming tomorrow anymore. You're not unwanted. You're not abandoned. You are loved and accepted child of God Himself. Are you still living out of your old identity? Does shame rule over you? Does guilt cripple you? You believe lies about yourself. Don't believe the accuser. Believe God. Take God at His word. Accept that you are who He thinks you are. Don't you think He knows better? Don't you think He knows you better than you know yourself? The one who made you and loved you and redeemed you and sanctified you. That's the real you. I like it that in the early church, when a person was baptized, they, gave, they were given new clothes, a new set of clothes. They were white clothes given after baptism. Now, mind you, they were baptized naked. I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far into my commitment to early church history. I don't know how it works logistically. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Maybe loincloths. I don't know. But once they came out of the water, symbolizing their conversion to Christ, given new life, new identity in Christ, they were given new, clean, white clothes. Why? So they would see and feel that they are new in Christ. That is not a joke. But God really makes them new. That the old them was drowned in that water. And now the new them came up. And they're given a new attire. Like scripture talks about this new white clothes that Jesus gives us. Clothes of righteousness. Not our own. They're given to us by Christ. But they are ours now. And they were given a new name. In the early church, when you would get baptized, you'd get a new name. you get a Christian name. In fact, some churches still do it to this day. We don't, we don't do it, but lots of churches do. When you are, are reborn symbolically through baptism, of course, it just symbolizes the internal change that may have happened to you years ago. But you're given this new identity symbolically by giving a new name. Now, I like this idea how a new name symbolizes this new identity. When we adopted Evie, we changed her name. You know, she was Veronika uh, for the first two and a half years of her life in the orphanage. Known as Nika, Nika, Nika. Um, and so and we, we like the name Veronika. There's nothing wrong with that name. And in fact, it would have been easier for us to keep the name. Our other three girls have Ukrainian names that some of you have a hard time pronouncing to this day. And so given another Ukrainian, day, would, Ukrainian name wouldn't have been a big deal for us. But there was something important in us being able to name her something else. Because she was about to experience a tremendous change in her life. Her old identity was going away. And her new identity as part of our family was coming in. And so it seemed appropriate for us to call her Evangeline, give her a new name. And I remember before the judge, when we were 
given that you know, final kind of legal permission to have her as our child, they asked us what we want to call her. And we said, Evangelina, Evangeline. And it was a meaningful moment because I felt like we were now placing a new identity on this child. Now, she was no longer this abandoned, unloved, forsaken, hidden away orphan. And so she shouldn't have had the name that her parents who abandoned her gave her. She could have a new name with her new parents, Evangeline. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, Evangeline, that sounds a lot like evangelical. Man, you're really committed to your denomination. Well, I am, of course. You know, we, we were going to go with Evie Free as a, the middle name. But uh, uh, the reason we chose Evangeline is we like the name, of course, too. But, but there's, well, Jillian got, it, yeah, Jillian got it from Lost. Evangeline Lily, I think her name is. Uh, I, I got it from the Bible, of course, you know. <laughs> The, the idea, for me at least, was that, that this is a gospel thing. Evangelical meaning gospel. That's, that's the word for gospel. It means that, that she was adopted by grace just like her parents were adopted by grace through Christ. And what a great symbolism is, is in her new identity. It's important to, it was important for us to give her a new name. And God gives you a new name and a new identity when you become part of his family. I like this idea of name being more than just a word that symbolizes something greater, your connection to some other community or your connection to, to something bigger. Um, your last name places you in a certain family. It connects you with a certain family. Your first name could be a name that connects you with a particular ethnicity or, or a particular neighborhood where everybody's called you know, a certain name. Um, and so, so it is uh, in, in Christianity as well. There's a new identity that comes in, and it's different and we need to embrace it. Now, I'm going to tell you the story. I think some of you may have heard me tell it again Most of you before. Most of you haven't. When I was, uh, this is about a name and identity. When, when I was uh, 11 years old, I got really sick and was quarantined in the hospital for 21 days. Now, looking back, there's a good chance I was not actually sick. <laughs> so, uh, there's no trace in my body that I was sick with that particular thing. It could be God healed me, very possible. could be the doctors dropped the ball, who knows. But I was in the hospital for three weeks. I wasn't unhappy about it, actually. Um, you know, no schoolwork. I was in, in a room with four or five other boys, and it's kind of fun, you know, most, most days. And uh, the only problem was that I had very little contact with my family, with my parents, because they couldn't come visit me. And so they would send notes and care packages once in a while. But, but I sort of functioned as, as just one of the boys in that room for most of my time in the hospital, not thinking too much about my parents. And so one day, a nurse came in, and, and she came in with a, the care package, and she said, this is a package for Kuzia. Kuzia. And she looked around. Kuzia, there's a package for you. Well, nobody in my room named Kuzia. And so she left. Not until next day, did I realize it was my package. It was my parents, using a nickname they had given me before and would sometimes use at home, send me stuff. But it didn't even register that they would address something by, by my nickname, by my home name. Why? Because I was so used to my normal name in the hospital where everybody called me that, and I was so distant from my parents that my identity as their child, somebody that is affectionately called Kuzia, was just not part of my thinking. 
Now, kuze, just to tell you what it means, it's, it's a derivative of grasshopper. And of course, I don't know how it started, honestly. I don't know where it came from. Uh, no, I mean, you can tell, you know, if you're comparing a person to an agile, graceful uh, insect, it would be me, of course, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how it started, but, but that's what they called me at home. But I was so distant from that. It was such a, it was such a faraway thing for me that it didn't register for a day until I finally got my, my package. Now, I use this story to show us how often we forget our identity as God's children. Maybe you too have been quarantined in the world for too long, removed from God and His Word and His people. Maybe it's been so long that you have forgotten your nickname, that special name your father used to call you. Maybe even now, God is calling you by that name. And you're wondering, who is he talking to? And all the things that God means to give you, you don't think they're yours. Because it's not your name on the package like it was for me. But it is your name. The name you've forgotten. You've embraced a different identity. And you need to come back to that original Christian identity of being born again into God's family, being his child, being loved by God. You need to embrace it and remember it. You need, to, you need to be reminded of who you are in Christ because you're not an orphan anymore and you're not abandoned and unwanted and forsaken and hidden away in an orphanage somewhere. You don't need to be scared anymore. A quote from John Owen, the great Puritan writer, very convicting quote, he says, be fully assured in your hearts that the Father loves you. Have fellowship with the Father in His love. Have no fears or doubts about His love for you. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. Let me read this last phrase again. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. Is that convicting to you? Maybe you have lost your faith that God really loves you and you have spurned Him and you have rejected Him. But He does love you. You are His child. He will never stop loving. Well, since I started talking about love, let's transition and talk about this new intimacy that adoption produces. So not only do we need to embrace this new identity as a God's, God's adopted child, but we need to enjoy a new intimacy with Him, a new relationship with Him. You see, when we become believers, you get a new name. Revelation talks about this little white stone that has a name written on it that only you and Jesus know. You get a new identity, but God also becomes different to you. See, God gets a different name in adoption too. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that he might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, cultivates and fosters and nurtures this new, intimate, affectionate relationship with God. If you are His child, you are not left to your own devices to figure out how you can love God better. No. He gives you His Spirit, who changes you, who moves you, who adapts your heart to God's love. Romans talks about the Holy Spirit pouring the love of the Father into your heart. It's such a clear image of of, of God just saying, I know you can't love me because of your nature, because of your sins, so I'm going to pour this love into your heart so you can love me, so you can see me for who I am. And now you can call me Abba, this affectionate, tender term. There is security and assurance of this relationship. There's affection in this relationship. Listen how Philip Ryken describes it. First, God sent his son to save us from our sins and to make us all his sons and daughters. The son is the elder brother who picks us up and sets us down on God's lap. Then God sent his Holy Spirit, the divine whisper, who tells us that we will always be God's special children. When we hear the Spirit's whisper, our hearts cry out to God, you will always be my father. What a great image of the older brother coming and, and picking us up and, and just placing us, throwing us into God's lap. And the Spirit coming and whispering to us, He really does love you. You can trust Him. You can address Him as Abba. He's not going to go away. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to stop loving you. And so we can respond to that by saying, God, you will always be our Father. Do you know God like that? Things that I describe about this relationship with God, do they resonate with you? Have you experienced a sweet time of communion with Him? Where it's as if you're sitting on His lap. Where it's as if He is whispering into your ear how much He delights in you. How sweet it is to experience and enjoy this kind of intimacy with God. Now some of you are saying, nope, that's not me. That's not my relationship with God. Be patient. Be patient. It's, it's hard to get all the benefits of this intimacy right away. You need to change. You need to learn about God. You need to learn who He is. It takes time. For Evie, it took three years until she started to be affectionate towards us. Until she felt secure in our commitment to her. It took her three years. So out of the three and a half years that we've had her, Three of those years, she didn't trust us. She was withdrawn. She, at times, would run to us, but many times she wouldn't. Why? It takes time. It takes time. She needed to see that we're here for a while, that we're still committed to her, that we're going to take care of her in various circumstances. It's easy for us as Christians to treat God as an orphanage worker, as a, as a hired caregiver. It's very easy for us just to look at him and, and say, you know, what do I need to do so you would feed me and change me? How do I need to appease you? How do I need to behave so I get the benefits of your attention? That's not how God is like with us. That's not what He is. God is a parent, is a father. 
He's not a hired caregiver that can leave at any moment, that can take vacation, that whose shift ends and he's gone. That's not like that with God. He's a parent. He doesn't leave. Totally committed to you. Totally loves you. He's eternally committed to you. He's fully embraced his parental responsibility for you. Now, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You have this, 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 this love and, and, and protective feeling towards your children, uh, responsible feeling towards your children. Um, it's, it's, it's almost a violent feeling because you're willing to do anything for your children. But it's not like that, at least for me, for all the children. It certainly is like that for me for my children, not your children. Very specific in that. If you know me, you would often notice that I pay very little attention to your children. As it doesn't come naturally to me. I have to make myself to remember the names of your children. Uh, I've, no, never mind. I was going to say something. Now, here, here's, here's a great example of, of how I think. And hopefully you can identify with that. Hopefully not to that extent. Just last week on Thursday, uh, another parent from school, from my kid's school, asked me to pick up her kids. She has three kids, two girls and a boy. And so I said, of course, put it in my calendar. I was there on time. I picked up my kids, of course, all of my kids. And I picked up two of her kids. Not three, two of her kids. And on the way to her house to drop off her kids, I get a call from the school. Aren't you supposed to pick up John John, who's at the office waiting for me <laughs> to be picked up? Now, in baseball, two out of three is, 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 is great. In childcare, not so much. Why didn't I think of him? I knew he was part of the family. I, I knew the kids. Why didn't I think of him? I thought of my kids. All my kids were taken care of. Not that kid. Why? Not my kid. I don't have the same responsibility. I don't feel the same emotions towards other kids. I don't feel the same commitment towards other kids that I do towards my kids. And I remember very distinctly when that clicked for me with Evie, when we were adopting her in the orphanage, I remember it was the second or third time we went to visit her. She was not legally ours yet. We've never taken her home yet. She didn't know us. I think seemed to care particularly about us at this point. Um, and I, we get there, and she has this huge scratch on her face. Um, and, and it's covered with green stuff, which is what you do in Ukraine. You look at my childhood pictures, there's a lot of green. You have any kind of injury, you have any kind of scratch, mom gets this antiseptic that's green, and it's just everything is green. And stains, it's bad. I'm so happy that you have modern medicine here that's a little better. So, so we get to the orphanage, and she has this huge scratch across her face, like across her cheek. And we're like, what happened? We were here yesterday. What happened? And she said, well, she scratched herself. Maybe. Probably she did. Maybe someone else did. And at that point, I remember very clearly what I felt inside. There was an anger welling up in my heart when I felt like, this is my child. This is my kid, and somebody's messing with my kid. And I was ready to go. Now, mind you, I didn't know Evie. She wasn't, she wasn't legally part of our family, but the emotions were there. And I'm so thankful that God matches those emotions 
with what he's doing uh, with, with our children. Now, I, I think of, and this joke was, was picked up on by two people in the first service, so there's no chance there's going to be any more than two people in this service. But I feel like, like Brandon Bullig feels when, when uh, Patrick Kane gets messed with on, on the ice, a hockey metaphor. Hockey players, hockey teams have enforcers. So your star player, your skilled player, doesn't have to fight their own fights. If they get messed with, there's another guy on the team who likely can't shoot or skate very well, but he gets on the ice and he drops the gloves. That's his job. He looks and he sees somebody messes with my teammate, the gloves come off. That's a, I feel like that's a very parental metaphor, <laughs> that somebody messes with my kid, the gloves come off, and you're ready to go. Why? You feel, this, you feel this commitment. You feel this love for your child. You feel this protective attitude towards your kid. That's how God feels about you, his children, and more so. When I think about the cross, and hopefully I'm not taking this metaphor too far, but I think about the cross, this is Jesus dropping the gloves and saying, who's messing with my kid? And it's violent. And it's intense. But that's how he feels about his children. God on the cross, getting bloody, getting beat up for you. Because he loves you. That's how he feels about you. Now that's the kind of commitment God has towards his children. Now, again, for some of you, um, I hope that most of you are tracking with me and it resonates with you, but, but I know for some of you, maybe that's not the reality of your relationship with God. Maybe you're listening to me and you're saying, okay, sounds great. This intimacy and, and God's commitment to me and, and how much he loves me and climbing into his lap, that all sounds great, but that's not my experience with him. My experience with God right now is that he's messing with me. He's taking away things I like. He's putting me in difficult situations. My relationships are falling apart. I can barely hold on to my job. My marriage is really struggling. I have no money. And all of this has happened since I became a Christian. Haven't you heard people say, everything was fine until I became a Christian? Everything fell apart then. So how do you deal with that? When you have this vision of God as a loving father who has adopted you, feels this intense commitment to you, wants to be in this intimate relationship with you, and yet your practical experience seemed to, seemed to tell you a completely different story. Now I'm going to give you one more illustration from Evie's life, and I think this will be helpful. When, uh, when we got Evie from the orphanage, she had never been buckled in into a car seat. Never. Um, she'd never taken a bath when we got her. Now, she's been wiped down, but she was never in a tub of water. And so when we got her, we started doing these things that parents or good parents do with their children. So when we were in the car, she was buckled in. When uh, we got home, she took a bath. She was in, in the water. How do you think she felt during those times? Do you think she understood what we were doing? Do you think she knew that our intentions were good? Look at it from her perspective. This weird couple comes in with a couple other little people who seem to hang around with them all the time. They get me out of my home. People and my crib mate and everybody I know is here. I know how things work here. They get me out. The first thing they do, they put me into a car, 
into a moving vehicle and they strap me down so I can't move. That does not seem like something a loving person would do to another person, right? And then they get me home and they just drop me into this thing of water. I haven't seen that much water in my life. Are they trying to drown me? Is this a punishment? Did I do something wrong? All those things are going through our mind. Now imagine how hard it is at this moment to trust your parent and just to know that what they're doing is good for you. This is the same thing with Christians. You become a Christian, God goes and gets you out of the orphanage. And God is doing all these things with you now that you don't know what to think of. You don't know if you're getting punished for something you did. You, you don't know if he's trying to hurt you. You don't know if he's taking things away from you just for the fun of it. You don't know any of that. But if you trust him, and if you know that his intentions are good towards you, that he is a good and a loving father, you can get through it. Evie loves taking baths now. It's her favorite thing to do. Took two baths yesterday. It was a slow day. Two baths. You know, she loves it. She doesn't mind her car seat anymore. She enjoys going wherever we go and wherever I drag her when I go somewhere. She likes it now. Why? She's learned to trust. As a Christian, especially as a young Christian, as you're growing in the faith, you will learn to trust him. Don't question his good intention. Think about the things that God is doing for you, the things he's doing for you, for your own good. Trying to help you. Trying to love you. Trying to be a good dad for you. Well, it's time for me to wrap it up. This is a little bit of a longer sermon. I apologize for that. I have one more point, and I'm going to spend almost no time on that. And this is premeditated because we're going to cover it in greater detail in a couple of weeks when we talk about inheritance in Christ. But part of being adopted into God's family also means that you're expecting a new inheritance. Why does Paul say that we are adopted as sons? Not sons and daughters, but sons. Why so gender specific? I don't think he just means males. I think he means men and women being adopted as sons. Because sons in his culture had certain privileges. They would inherit everything the father had. They would have the responsibilities of running the family business, of owning the family property. And so no matter what your gender is, when God adopts you, he adopts you into those privileges. Every child of God gets to inherit everything God has. In Romans 8, talks about us being heirs of God and co-heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. What that means is that legally by right, everything Jesus has, we have. You see how great of an inheritance we're talking about? Everything Jesus has, you will inherit. You will share it. Everything Jesus has, we are promised to have one day. The kingdom is ours. The glory is ours. The authority and power and honor are ours. Heaven is ours. It's incredible what God has promised us in Christ because he loves us. Well, let's come to the table. If you are an adopted child of God, this table is for you. This is your father saying, children, dinner's ready. Come gather around the family table. If you're not a child of God, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, I pray that this time is a time for you to deal with that. Time for you to come to grips with how much God loves you and accept his love. 
and embrace him as your father and be adopted into his family by faith through Christ. I pray that this will happen to you today.